everyone. Welcome to another edition of Fashion and Focus, the podcast brought together by Showroom 22, based in Auckland, New Zealand. I'm Rosie Herdman, and today we are talking to model and filmmaker Lily Sumner. Lily is one of New Zealand's most well-known models working internationally. Initially relocating to London in 2013, she's been based in New York for two and a half years now, and her career has seen her feature in and on the covers of many top international magazines, including Vogue, Pop Magazine, Love Magazine, Dazed, Elle, and Interview. She starred in campaigns for Saint Laurent, Moschino, Sonia Raquel, and Marc Jacobs, worked with photographers like Jürgen Teller, Liz Collins, Eddie Sleman, and David Sims, Walked for Miu Miu, Celine, Mani, the list goes on. As well as being in demand in the fashion industry, Lily has many creative pursuits, including writing and making art, and over the last year has been forging a path into the world of filmmaking. Her creative spirit means she's amused to many and there is so much more to her than meets the eye. Lily and I met through modeling close to 10 years ago now and have been close friends ever since. She's an inspiration to me and a very special human being. So I'm thrilled to be talking to her today. Thanks for joining me, Lily. How are you going? I'm good. I feel so special now after that. <laughs> um, I'm good. Good. What does the world look like from where you're sitting right now? Well, I'm in my apartment in Chinatown in New York in the Lower East Side and it's a beautiful sunny day. There's people out and about, but all the stores and things are closed. Mm -hmm. um, but they've started to open bars and restaurants. So there's like six foot queues outside all the bars and people are, it's actually illegal usually to drink on the street in New York, but right now it's somehow legal. And there's a street party. It's yeah, people should be indoors, but yeah, anything goes. Anything goes right now. People are they call it isolation fatigue. There's a special feeling like the first hot day of the New York summer, and people just go nuts. People, people already insane here on a on a regular day, and on that that one day, you just have to go out because it's it's there's a strange energy. How has it been for you in New York for the last few weeks? Um, the last few weeks have been better, honestly, just because it's a little bit more relaxed now. Um, yeah, it's it's been good. It, and then you kind of get shocked again. Like today, there was you probably saw it the New York Times cover with the article about 100,000 deaths and what that means for people personally. And it's kind of strange. It starts to feel normal to be in quarantine and then you remember why we're all doing this. Um, but yeah, it's it's been nice on a... For me, it's been nice to be indoors and to be... not be expected to go anywhere and do anything and just actually be able to focus on um, projects I want to work on. So I've actually been working probably the most of my life during quarantine um in terms of yeah I mean modeling is, is a different kind of work you have to be really last minute and you have to sounds glamorous like get on flight last minute all that stuff and kind of be um on standby but the work I've really been wanting to do which is filmmaking I've been able to do remotely during quarantine and actually be collaborating with 
other filmmakers. Um, so it's been, it's been like a little film school in my apartment, <laughs> my own personal film school. Yeah, and that's such a positive thing. I feel like on the one hand, people feel a little bit of pressure to maybe be productive. On the other mm. hand, people want to take the space if they can and if they have that luxury to just slow down and chill out. But maybe if you if that's something that you derive joy from is making films and connecting creativity with creatively with people, then that's great. Yeah, you don't want to be forced to be like making sourdough just to be <laughs> to be doing something. But if if you really because a lot of the time I think the things that you truly love are the things you run away from the most because you know that you're gonna enjoy it so much, you know it's gonna affect your life and be important to you. So it makes sense to just run the other way, right? Mm-hmm. Until until you're faced with it and then it's great to get over that hurdle. Mm. Um, and so we'll get to all of that in a minute, but should we go back to the beginning and talk about where you grew up um, and how you got into modeling and your journey from New Zealand to overseas and how that whole thing was for you? Mm-hmm. Um, so how did it begin? I Well, I was born in Auckland and plants in me <laughs> and um honda and yeah <laughs> rip 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 <laughs> but um anyway i moved to wellington lived there with my dad a long time and then ended up living in hawke's bay um on a farm until i was 14 and at 14 my sister my big sister bonnie was represented in auckland with a modeling agency with red 11 and um I was like wearing my stonewashed jeans, wearing my Reeboks, wearing my eyeliner. <laughs> and she was like, come in maybe and meet, um, meet my agent just to see what they think if you could model. And at the time I was, I mean, I wasn't interested. I was interested in fashion, but from a, I guess from like a music um, angle and from a film angle, like a dress like this, Billy Seeking Susan, that kind of thing. And um Anyway, I went to meet them in Auckland and they were all like, no, 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 no. And then, but one of them like wanted to sign me up. So I still lived and continued to live in Hawke's Bay, but um, had representation. And um, it's so interesting that they said no initially. Yeah, I mean, I was short for a model and I had eyeliner on. I you mean to be a blank body. canvas, Lily. Yeah, especially at that time, I think, like, that if that was, um, oh, my God, nine years ago, and I think modelling at that time was more about the girl with, like, the long, lanky hair and the centre part and the very, like, um, how do you call it? It was just very, like, streamlined, normal, like, pretty fresh faces. So, it, like, now I, I guess if it was five years later, they'd be like, she's cool, she's got personality, blah, blah, blah. And now they're trying to dress those kind of more um, fresh girls as, like, like they'll put them in a Pink Floyd T-shirt and all this stuff, but they've never listened to Pink Floyd. Um, <laughs> I love anyway. Iron Maiden. <laughs> Couldn't yes. tell you a song, but... Uh... <laughs> Iron Maiden so on. Um, so... I ended up moving to Auckland, went to Western Springs, 
leaving my small Steiner school. You're also a Steiner school. I am. Steiner baby. Yeah, it was a big, a big difference um, Mm -hmm. going to a school like that. And I kind of had been, I'd spent three months in Canada and Melbourne before that with my mom and then with my dad and in Australia. And I'd done all my my school on distance learning. So I think it had that freedom and it was very difficult to fit back in the box of school, public school with teachers. And it was also, um, I guess, quite cliquey. Only, only like boys would be friends with me because the girls were very like set in their friendships. So I wasn't that engaged to be there. And then um, got the opportunity to go to London um, with you. <laughs> and What a time. Yeah. And that was, so what year was that, 2013? 2011. We went together. 2011. We were there for three months, weren't we? Right. Yes. So I signed to a modeling agency there. And yeah, it didn't, it didn't really go that well for me though. I wasn't working. I was going to a lot of castings and I guess um, comparing it to what modeling was in New Zealand where it's very small, but I was, working at home but then you go to London and even going to a lot of castings for like Burberry or Pop Magazine all these things it felt so much bigger even if I wasn't actually working and I was so excited by it all and it was also new that it felt good up to the point where I was like right I'm just I'm I'm not making money I have to go home so then yeah I moved back to New Zealand and flattered for I don't know how long six months or something yeah um yeah and then I guess I got a little anxious to go overseas again so I managed to get myself a contract in Japan (laughs) as you do that's right and go down that whole rabbit hole of strange modeling in Japan um how did you find that it was very weird I was I was 18 and most of the girls were four sometimes five years younger than me and which is insane so young and um but it was good I mean I I made enough money to move to London with and live on until I started working there so it was great for me Mm. um yeah and then I was in London thinking about when modeling I guess modeling got good once I I moved agencies. I was with a very like West London, very um, uh, the kind of agency where the all the girls' parents are someone, or they're from some certain family, that kind of thing. That's right. Yeah, and I was not that at all. So I ended up moving agencies, and they they were like, "You should go and meet Eddie Salman in Paris." So I went over there met him I was in this like bizarre outfit <laughs> on the train came home and then that's not <laughs> like then, you yeah it was um oh my god I can remember it. it's actually embarrassing what were you wearing I was wearing this yellow and green um like I don't even know how, it's not a kimono but it was like that sort of um wrap and then like tall vinyl boots knee high vinyl boots and then the hat and the sheepskin thing and so many things going on and um and then there were the shorts underneath I remember and um yeah but then I ended up working with him for that was his second show with Saint Laurent that I fitted for so then I worked with him until he finished his time with the house which was an amazing experience it was mm. the first time I really 
really got to work with people who were absolute perfectionists and you know so, there's so much detail goes into everything you have someone who works just with the leather and then someone who works just with buckles and someone who works just with trim that kind of thing and um they're absolutely dedicated and it was really it was really great to be around that and it was great because I think I've that's like set a standard you know and when you work on other things everything else I mean a lot of the other brands I work for I'm like well no one puts in quite the effort that they did yeah interesting <laughs> yeah and I, I got to work with them up until there was this wild second to last show in LA at the Palladium which was just like the most fun you can imagine. John Jett was playing, they had all these wild bands. And then the very last show was in Paris in the, um, in the what do we call it? Atelier, like where they create the clothes. And usually his shows were super fast paced, really loud music. You're like stomping, stomping, stomping down the runway. And this one show was no music at all. And they brought back the original woman from the 70s who used to, in fashion shows, they used to call out the number in French, the number of each look. So that was the only sound in the show. And then it was in this beautiful, the atelier is beautiful. It's all marble floor and a really incredible building in Paris. Mm. You could just like eat in this all different rooms. So you'd walk into each room and all you'd hear is just like click, 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 click. And then, oh, oh, la, la. <laughs> oh mon dieu. Yeah, it was it was really beautiful, and I was the last look of the show, wearing this the red heart. Yes, the red heart jacket, it's iconic heart. look. Yeah, and I came upstairs because I was the last one, and everyone was just weeping because everyone knew it was going to be the last show. Um, that's that a real a yeah, that's a real um, you know those experiences that you talk about with John Jett playing and being in the, the atelier and that's a real <laughs> kind of fantasy come to life version it sounds like of fashion and what it can be like because it can be incredible mm. yeah it can be it can be and so you worked um with Eddie and that was when you were in London living in London still this whole time yeah yeah but so when I, because then I moved to London and we were there at the same time for maybe a year crossover or slightly less than a year, two years. Something. And, yeah. But you at that time were already traveling back and forth between London and New York, weren't you? So what was mm -hmm. the catalyst for deciding to move over there? Um, what was the catalyst? Well, I guess I was just going to New York so often and um just such different culture in each place and I think I got in, inspired that in I, th I think in London you can very much get into a routine and New York is absolutely anti-routine you can kind of end up in a million different scenarios on any given night not at the moment but <laughs> <laughs> usually and London I like I, I love it there but it can get a little um, a little depressing sometimes the weather and I know everyone says that but like the pub life I don't want to go to the same place every night and sit at the same stall people do love that in London it's very you know you go to the oak and you see everyone and which and is nice that and they adore it and that's great but 
yeah no it was it was a great it was great to move here and I was also traveling here so often that it was like why not why not move here and then I got the chance to also go back to London quite often to keep doing the the jobs I'd been doing there already so yeah from the outside it seems like your career properly was consistent and took off more when you moved to New York yeah I think so there's just so much more work here um it's not necessarily better work at all like I think there's definitely cooler ideas going around in London Mm. um and in Paris but but there's just so many more clients here there's so much more money here um and it's just a huge country as well so that if the brand is based here then there's such a large market yeah there's more to go around you know and it's like for everyone like if you're a a makeup artist or an assistant or any of that stuff there's just more options for everybody which is fun but I don't know if that's going to continue right now yeah so what are you seeing during your time in lockdown? You have been doing some modeling work, but it's obviously looked quite different to how it looked before. What are you seeing in terms of the creativity that's going on around you? And what are you seeing coming out of the industry at the moment? Uh, well, yeah, a lot of brands are still trying to shoot, but they're sending out, so they'll send out samples to models and they're looking for models who live with photographers that kind of thing so models who have photographer boyfriends are like really doing well right now gold (laughs) so good for them (laughs) Um, there's been you know the zoom shoots the facetime shoots the self-shooting thing i did like i did a thing for helmet lang where they got they sent me a few things and i just took mirror selfies basically Mm -hmm. which is kind of fun and then i'm seeing like bigger brands like Zara having my friend was shooting for them at home and her boyfriend who's not a photographer was shooting it and the images are really beautiful and there's this nice intimacy to things and I wonder if that will make brands realize that for the quality they want they don't necessarily need to fly all over the world and have huge teams which is great for the environment and then I sad for people who will be losing out on jobs yeah it is it's all uh weighing up at the moment isn't it and mm-hmm. reevaluating what is important and what's needed but unfortunately and fortunately in the industry when things change this way there are going to be people who benefit and people that lose out yeah it's one second it's just the seven o'clock clap so modeling I feel like has changed quite drastically even in the last decade and the time in which you have been working solidly um what are some of the main ways in which you think it has changed and evolved um I guess social media massive one Mm -hmm. um positives to that are it's made the fashion industry a lot more a lot more democratic you know what I mean because it's more accessible and but it also means that anyone can kind of weigh in on what's what content is being produced so I think the content itself has been watered down because of that Mm. um 
but for modeling it's definitely i think models are safer now there's not an official there's like the models union but there's not an official union that you can really it's not unionized but there is a union if that makes sense mm-hmm. um so i think models are safer now and i i think models understand if something dodgy happens on set or in a communication with anyone in the industry they feel there's more options for them and there's people to talk to people to report that to so yeah. i think that's amazing and then representation is better it's not just a bunch of skinny white girls even though i think skinny white girls are still prevailing but i don't know for how much longer which yeah. is i mean it's a bit boring <laughs> i mean even for me i'm like i love doing this job but i don't know if my image is that necessary anymore to be represented all the time because it has been for so long so i'm like i'm happy for that no mm. yeah um i feel like when we were starting out i was always under this impression that designers and stylists and it was about designers and all the other creatives being able to impose their vision onto you project their vision so you had to be this very blank slate and it wasn't really super encouraged to have so much of a personality and let that shine through whereas now you know like you say with social media I feel like that has changed yeah and also they're aware that having a model who has 50,000 followers is helpful to their brand as well so perhaps they don't they wouldn't have before looked at that person because they would have just been looking at pure aesthetic or pure blank canvas now they're like oh this people people follow this person so they're going to be into my brand by book them mm-hmm. um what else has changed I, yeah i i guess the thing is there's there's less mystique if that sounds kind of lame but there's no the people who are doing the best are the ones who are just absolutely sharing everything yeah i mean with social um yeah i have there's still so much so much that needs to get better for instance i don't think agencies explain to models how to pay their tax how to do accounting um yeah that stuff hasn't been dealt with and i think models are very vulnerable and they're often still very young even if they're most of the time over 18 now which is great but even at 18 you don't know necessarily that you need to pay tax and that your agency might be stealing money from you and you can do something about it yeah. they do that and there's still the model apartments that charge far too much money and that kind of stuff still goes on mm so there are still changes that need to be made in the industry because yeah i remember that stuff just all being so confusing and you think that you've made the certain amount of money but then you realize that 20% of it goes to your agency and then 20% of it's taxed and then you've got charges mm-hmm. for your website fees or your book or the rent or whatever and it's also secretive it is so secretive and there's no desire for them to be transparent with you they want to keep you down and they yeah i think they like people that don't ask questions and um and also this whole thing that 
which I don't think is true, but this whole thing, like everyone wants to be a model and like there's so many people who are desperate to do it. So they prey on that desperateness, you know? I was going to say, do you think modeling, because I remember when it was a super desirable career for girls, maybe five, 10 years ago, everyone's like, I want to be a model. But do you think that's still the case or has it, is it more, I want to be an influencer? Yeah, I think it's that. And I think it's, I want to be a YouTube star influencer. Absolutely. Which is better in a way, because obviously you have to, well, for some of those people they are using a lot more or they have to develop skill maybe in the way that a model doesn't have to. Yeah. But I do know what you mean about social media and all of that, bringing more of a democratization to the whole thing. And that has been a really positive thing that's happened. And do you feel like your journey through modeling, you have evolved and gotten more assertive and able to ask for what you want or ask the right questions or put your boundaries in place and therefore it's been become more enjoyable for you or? Yeah. And I think I've always had pretty strong boundaries. Like I'm, I don't know if I'm lucky or if it's because of myself, but I've never had a bad experience when modeling um, and I think, yeah, I, I definitely have always had strong boundaries about that stuff, but I wasn't as educated on the financial side of it before. And also when you're super young and you're enjoying the ride, you're not really sitting down to like, look at your statements all the time when you really, wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that is quite vital. Yeah. Something I have always admired about you in this industry is that you have always seemed to be able to hold on to your own personality and stay true to yourself in a in an environment that can be quite hard to do that in mm, thank you mm. thank I think because my true interests have always been outside of the industry anyway and so mm. I can have a great time doing the work but when I finish the job my brain goes back to the things I'm actually interested in I'm not just thinking about modeling all the time and I think the girls who are or boys as well are um I just think it 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 doesn't really go anywhere it becomes a black hole because it's the kind of job where you could be the hardest working model but not be successful because it's like that's the cruel catch-22 of modeling isn't it the more you want it sometimes it doesn't work the more elusive it is yeah, and there's some girls who are very successful and they work really hard and there's some who haven't had to work that hard and still be very successful. So I don't know if there's many other jobs where you can just pretend you hate it and work more. <laughs> yeah, I'm not right? that bothered. Well, it's like so many male models are like, I'm not that bothered, just yeah. rolled up. And they're like, oh, he's fashionable. He's a dashing male model doesn't give a fart (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly yeah and I but I guess with any job modeling is a job and it's important that your identity isn't fully intertwined with Mm. what essentially is your nine-to-five yeah and that's where so many people get very very lost because you get a great job and it gives you a little ego boost and then you need another one and if it doesn't come and who are you, right? And I think with any job, your identity, your identity, and identity can't be too fueled by, 
by the work you do, whatever it is, because all that stuff can change. And also as a human being, your interests often do change and you want to be able to move naturally with yourself and not get too caught up in, in the little pins you put in yourself. So what do you think is the best advice from your point of view or some good things to look out for or think about if you're a young model or if you're wanting to get into the fashion industry as a model? I think waiting until you're 18 is helpful just because, you know, if you're under 18, you're still a child and Mm. you, as a model, you are often faced with quite adult situations like traveling alone and signing contracts, bank accounts, all that kind of thing. So I think now there's not so much of a desire for, not desire, that sounds creepy, but there's not as many, you know, you're not starting at 14, 15, 16 anymore. Yeah. I feel like that um, it's kind of a trends in the modeling industry come and go, you know, for different types of models. And I feel like the trend for super, super young models has passed somewhat. Yeah. And when you're 18, you're just, you're a little more sure of yourself. And I think another important thing is making sure the people that you're agreeing to work with as an agents, agencies, um, are good people that you can trust Mm. them. And, that you have someone else meet them, a parent or a guardian or whatever. And yeah, just making sure you're very um, clear about your boundaries. Mm. It can be really exciting and fun and wild and you can travel to all these places, but you could also, um, it could also not work out. And I think not putting too much pressure on wanting to be a certain kind of model because it's just, it, it might not happen it's this kind of thing you like we said earlier that you can try as hard as you can work really hard at modeling and not get anywhere so it's kind of like if it does start to happen you have to make sure that you've got a tight ship running yeah and you're thinking of yourself as a business especially now when you're I mean I'm not super super active on social media I know I probably could be more so for my modeling work but um you still have to you know you're not posting like I don't know (laughs) random like late nights or something yeah you know you you keep you're, you're thinking of your image as something that you're selling which you are yeah and being professional about it and being professional on set not being hung over or a diva, that kind of thing. I mean, mm. maybe a diva works for some people, but <laughs> not everybody. If that's the brand. <laughs> if that's your brand, go for it. Go for it. Just be your best you. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's important for people to know that it's okay to ask questions and to question things because that's Mm -hmm. something that I, when I was a lot younger, you just take things on face value. And I think that's with any career or any job, um, you become more aware that actually it's fine for you to suss out whether something is okay for yourself from all different angles. You don't just have to say, Mm. straight away, Oh, you know, like this will be a great opportunity for me uh, without, investigating all of the different facets that are going into it. 
Yeah. And also just following what you really feel about something. If something doesn't actually feel right, it's okay to not do it or not sign with this person. Mm. Um, and making sure someone reads your contracts is really important because mm-hmm. often you, you just go into an agency if they're excited about you, you might be handed a contract straight away, especially if you don't have a mother agent, which is a agent usually in your hometown who kind of manages you, but, you know, get someone else to read your contracts and think of it as an actual job, not just a really fun thing you might get to do. Yeah, exactly. What would you say for yourself, your career highlights have been so far? Um, career highlights, I guess. Retrospective. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> the red heart jacket was a great highlight. That show that I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I once went to the city of Nuremberg in Bavaria with Jürgen Teller and hung out with his mother, which was very odd. This town was very oh. gray, very gray and you probably only have heard of Nuremberg because of the Nuremberg trials. So it's like not the most <laughs> great reputation. Yeah. But that was just like a really strange, good experience. Um, what else have I done? I guess the, the jobs where I've been able to travel have been called Barcelona. One time I got fully body painted for pop magazine and was like on top of the Gaudi house. That was cool. Mm. Um, career highlights. Oh, I can't think of all of them. There's just too uh-huh. many. There's just too many. You've yeah. done some amazing work, though. Yeah, I think I've been lucky to have this sort of thing where the way I happen to look means that the jobs I get to do are usually the kind of jobs I like to do. And maybe yeah. it means I work less than some other models because I'm not commercial but then the work I do doesn't hurt my soul. (laughs) And that's all we can hope for at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And so let's talk about your foray into filmmaking. Um, Maybe first, could you tell everyone listening about your upbringing with your parents and your first involvement through them in that world and how kind of yeah how it's been a part of your life right um well my dad is an editor film editor and he he's he won an oscar (laughs) i was gonna say academy award-winning film editor let's say (laughs) Um, so that's my dad and we've always I guess we've always watched films together Um, I never really I was never going to be a filmmaker like it wasn't something I was thinking when I was a kid or anything but I was always looking at the world within a frame and also writing things in a very visual way and not really connecting it with filmmaking or screenwriting until a couple of years ago um, yeah, and then my mum and my step, so my stepdad's a DP, my mum and him um, produced a few documentaries together, and that was while I was living with them in Hawke's Bay, so I was around that, and um, I actually had my stepdad, he came and shot my first short film with me in New York, which was really special to be able to work with him. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So there's, there's absolutely never been a push from them or yeah, it was never really in my mind. I was, I was always more just into books and maybe being a writer. Yeah. Um, yeah. My stepsister is also doing film now. She's at, well, TV, she's a producer in Vancouver. So yeah, we both, we both caught the bug, I guess. Yeah. You took a screenwriting course. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that kind of got your, the writing that you loved to do and put it more into a film context. Yeah. So I, I started writing a script and I was like, I really, it was the summertime here when work wasn't as busy. So I was like, I may as well, um, get that down properly and just make sure I actually know how to write scripts well or write scripts not saying I do them well yet but um (laughs) so I did this course and then yeah it's good it's just great to have a bit more confidence knowing that you aren't missing some vital concept or vital part of screenwriting or filmmaking um so I did that and then I was like I should just make a film so the short script I was working on at the time, I was just like, fucking, I'm just going to make this one. And looking back, I'm like, I'm happy I did it, but I'm also unsure why I chose that particular one to make. I guess it was quite feasible because it's all basically in one house and on the street. It's in New York. It's not a lot of, it's present day. It's not a lot of cast. There was just two girls in it. Yeah. Like something that I could with no experience could start with. Yeah, um, and you've got to start somewhere. Yeah, but I find it hard to watch it. Do you? Oh, it's beautiful. So let's talk about it. So it's called Luke and Asks Why. Yeah. Um, and it's a beautiful short film starring Coco Gordon-Moore, who, for anyone who doesn't know, is Sonic Youth. She was from Sonic Youth, wasn't she? Is Her parents were Moore. Kim Gordon, Thurston Moore, and then the brilliant Lilac. Lilac, love her. So she's 11. Her mum is Susan Cianciolo, who's a New York artist. She's really cool. She had a clothing label called Run, and she does lots of kind of textile art that Luke uh, Lilac is also involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, and Coco is a really amazing poet, actually. She's I think she's working on her second poetry book at the moment. And she's very, she's very much an activist as well. She does a lot of work for helping women bail out women from prison because there's so many people who are stuck in jail in the American system. Mm. And um, so she's very focused on that stuff. And she's very much about leveraging, using her uh, privilege of being a white girl and, being an artist and you know having parents that have given her a platform that kind of thing so she's really wicked and it was her first time acting um my first time directing was everyone's first time basically apart from my stepdad yeah uh, it's definitely not his first time <laughs> not his first radio <laughs> so you directed this short film and mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about the story um so I have six sisters I have two little sisters Amelia and Lucia Amelia is um the same age that Lilac was Lucan the character of Lucan was in the film and it's just kind of about that moment in childhood or that kind of person who 
has a lot of questions and I don't know if it happened to you when you were a kid, but you can kind of be totally floored with realizations about the world you live in and it kind of can totally hit you. And I was trying to put that little feeling into the film and also having Coco as the older sister Inez, who is interested in that and understands that journey, but is also halfway gone in her head off into her own personal life of being a 20 year old. And cause I had this moment with my sister, I was saying goodbye to her at the airport and she was, why do you have to go? I have to work. Why do you have to work? And I was like, Oh my God, well, <laughs> why? I don't know. It's a long conversation. Yeah. Um, There's so much to explain about the world to a child. Yeah. And I, I, I'm like, do all kids ask that and wonder that? I hope so. I hope that parents or, or older people around kids want to go there and have those conversations and just be brutally honest because I think that's all you're really craving when you're that age and have and you're the person with all the questions. And I so often see kids being given such plastic answers and I find that really sad and, yeah. I wanted to put that in film. Mm. And so that was launched at the Gucci bookstore in New York. How did mm-hmm. that go? That looked like a fun thing. So they heard I'd made a film. They thought it was a finished film. And um, I was like, I would love it. They asked if they could premiere it at the store because they'd been doing a few, like, featuring films for a week or so at their – it's like a – They've got two big screens within the store. It's a bookstore and then there's like clothing in the back. In the middle part, there's kind of beautiful theatre seats. And I was like, I would love that. Can you give me $5,000 to um, finish it? Um, Which they did, which was very kind. Excellent. And it was all like discussed. I was on holiday in Spain and there was no reception. I had to be in like weird parts of this island to be able to discuss with them. (laughs) excuse me let me just go to the top of this mountain yeah literally so that was awesome that they did that I was really thankful because it was just it was getting like a little bit tough to finish at that point and then yeah we did a and a with my friend Sasha Frilova who's an actress um she's a very funny woman (laughs) and I actually just bumped into her in the park today but um, we did this Q&A together. We launched the film and then they played it for me for seven or eight days inside the store during Fashion Week, which was very nice because there were a lot of people in and out. Mm. And, um, yeah, that was the film. That did was you, my experience. Did you get good feedback from that time and having it in the store and having people see it? Yeah, I did, I did. And then... I don't know, short films are kind of weird because they don't really have a proper home or anywhere to live. And I think so many great short films get made. Um, And then, I don't know, you kind of only see them if you, like, love this certain director and you want to go back and see everything they've made. You know what I mean? Or sometimes you come across an amazing short film, but it's, it's not like a natural format to be aware of, I guess. Yeah, you kind of have to seek it out. Yeah. And so you have a new project that you've been working on. Can you tell me a bit about that? Sure. So um, 
I have a friend, Georgia Reppin. She's from Wellington. She she was living in New York for a while, I think for three years or something. And I was set up on a blind friend date with her because we have a mutual primary school friend. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So we met up and we started talking about all the things we wanted to work on. She's a producer with um, production company here, Avalon Production Company. And um, then beginning of quarantine, she called me up and she was like, I'm really interested in cam girls. Like, what are cam girls doing right now? Because everyone's at home. Cam girls have always been at home working. <laughs> what I mean. And now everyone's at home. Everyone's horny. Like, you know, yeah. Think of the cam girls. Yeah. So we started thinking about the cam girls, and we started reaching out to a bunch of different cam girls, and we got three incredible women signed on to work with us, and they're all. Um, one's in Vegas, one's in LA, one's in Miami, all do very kind of different style of cam. One of them is um, a sex educator and she's, she caters her work to black sex lives basically. And that is what, and that's what a lot of her fans come to her for. And then also, but she makes pornographic videos as well, but it's like educational and she's very intelligent and funny. The way she talks is brilliant. So we got her on board, Raquel Savage was her name. And then we got um, a younger woman, Sabina, who lives in LA and had also an incredible story, which we, all these women's stories we didn't know anything about before we started, right? And um, it was meant to be a very like short mini series, very short episodes, but we're actually making a feature now because mm. the stories we found were incredible. Mm. Um, but it was all produced remotely. So everything was shot by the girls in their own homes. Yeah. And then everything was sent to us at the end of each day. And then we would go through, edit, come back to them. We'd send them a lot of sort of different individualized interview questions. Um, yeah. So we just have been producing a documentary feature remotely. We haven't met any of these people in real life. Wow. And know them very intimately. Yes, very intimately indeed. So what's the process there? How do you control the direction of that? Well, how do we control the direction? I guess there were, we gave out a very detailed guideline um, directing the way in which they should shoot. They're shooting on um, photo booth and on with screen recording with their phones that kind of thing I love how that I'm sure this was intentional but it mimics the way that they work anyway Mm. so it's it's the perfect medium for them to be shooting a film on yeah they're very skilled at that and the, the other issue with that is that because they do that so often and because their work is a performance you could worry that what they're giving us might not be the honest thing because they're so used to performing in front of a webcam yeah so we tried to get around that by us getting close with them, being intimate, asking questions that, you know, pulled them to be more open with us. And I think we got there with all of them, which was really cool. But in terms of them, like, setting up their cameras properly and all that stuff, it was a dream. Yeah, yeah. They, of all people, would have experience with that. What interested you about the story? Um, what interested me? Um, I guess just because 
they are monetizing something. Well, they're monetizing something that, in one of their own words, they said that I people take from me constantly because of the way I look, and that's without my consent. In terms of just like you know men ogling on the street, this kind of thing. And she's like, now I monetize that. I get paid for existing and looking the way I do. Mm. And it's quite. I think also the way I thought about the sex industry has changed a lot just from filming the stuff. And I think that the documentary is going to do that for a lot of people as well, just humanizing these stories. Mm. And yeah, they're really fascinating people. Mm. It's just interesting. I think also voyeurism, you want to know, the people who are doing this performance on a little screen, you want to know what's behind that. You want to know how much money they're making. You want to know why they started to do that and how it makes them feel. Yeah. Is it at this point just you and Georgia working on this or do you have other people? Um, Georgia and I, and then we have a remote DP, Mia Sampson, who also was the sort of tech person could be on the phone with them if there were any issues. Um, We have someone scoring the film. We have, an editor, we had an editor working in New Zealand for a bit and now someone else is coming on board. There's been about seven of us, all women, on this film. Yeah. Was that a conscious choice? Um, I think every time we we needed to hire someone, we would look first for a woman, but the person scoring it might be a guy, it's not confirmed yet, but it's, yeah, we wouldn't not hire someone because they're a guy if they were great. Yeah. But it's we just love working with women yeah and it's ideal in such a male-dominated industry to make a point of seeking out because there are very talented women in all areas so and the subject material as well it's nice to be working on that with women because we're watching back a lot of um explicit material and i think it is more comfortable for me for i think it's more respectful in the way with the cam girls not that saying it wouldn't be right for a guy to be watching it they're happy for that content to be out there yeah but um it is quite explicit sometimes yeah so it's nice to work with that one with women yeah and what's it called it's called girls 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 yeah so <laughs> three of them and also it kind of it makes you think of those you know strip club signs that kind of thing girls 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 yeah. Which is funny because I actually often have a problem with calling women girls. It irritates me. Mm-hmm. But in terms of this, also because they call themselves cam girls, that's mm-hmm. their title that they use. So I'm happy to call them girls too, as they use it. And also girls, 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 girls has the connotations. I think it's a fun title. Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes sense on a whole bunch of different levels. The background of it is the pandemic and what are cam girls doing during a pandemic. So it's very timely and I want it to, we want it to come out when that's still relevant. But also in the beginning, it was very much about cam girls during a pandemic. But as time went on, it was like, well, people are going to be very sick of watching more content that's about the pandemic. I think it's still interesting, but it, it's not like the main um, thrust of it anymore. Mm, that's quite smart, but you're still weaving it in there and having it as a relevant topical 
thread. Yeah. Do you ever feel pressure to define yourself as one thing or because I know that people can be very keen to label things or label people in their minds has that been something when you've been delving into this world has that been something that you have ever found challenging or not really yeah and I'm it it's I'm aware of it but I'm very much just trying to keep my head inside of the things I'm interested in doing and not paying too much attention because I'm sure people are like oh but you're a model so why are you doing that and then they're looking at the work through the lens of a model do you know what I mean yeah but I think you just sort of ignore it until that's not relevant anymore because otherwise it's going to be difficult you yeah. know I mean yeah everyone is a slashing now everyone does a million different things and you kind of if you're doing creative jobs you kind of have to anyway mm. so I think it's pretty normal now I'd say if it was 10 years ago maybe it would have been more difficult but I think people also like to see that evolution of someone yeah um you know Kendall Jenner takes photos (laughs) (laughs) Kendall Jenner uses 35 millimeter so um people can change you know people can grow (laughs) people can change um I mean how about you've changed your career around yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that was interesting. I mean, I haven't modeled seriously for a long time, but it is a great platform to take you to other creative pursuits and to connect you with so many creative people, isn't it? Yeah, because I'm sure people that, you're, that you've been working with in the last couple of years you met during modeling. Yeah. In the time you were modeling. So many yeah and same with me like a lot of the great opportunities I've had for filmmaking are because of people I've met from moving here to do all that yeah um so yeah I think any anything you do is not wasted no you can learn from anything that's what I definitely believe and so for anyone that is wanting to get into making films what would your advice be for them Well, it depends what aspect of filmmaking you're going into. If it's script writing, you can just be working on that all the time, reading a lot of scripts. I guess whatever aspect it is, watching a lot of films, like making lists of all the movies that affect you for some way, in some way because mm. you don't want to forget them and you want to be able to refer back to things and re-watch things. And I found it really helpful to, or I do find it really helpful to, um, read scripts while I'm watching films at the same time. Oh, so you would, you would read the script of the film that you're watching? Yeah. Cool. Or watch it unfold or read, you know, read the script and then watch the film later and you can kind of check back and be like, oh, how did they um, get that thing from a written word on a page and show that visually? Mm. And that's kind of, I think that's a great way to learn about how films are made. I also like watching behind the scenes videos of films just because they're fun. There's a great one of that um, Spike Lee recorded behind the scenes of Lost in Translation Mm. on YouTube. Cool. It's really cute. Um, 
and then beyond that, I guess just making things cheaply in the beginning because you have to. Mm. And then any opportunity you get to meet someone who's in the industry or related to the industry somehow making connections with people and you never know, even if they're not in the industry, but if you really connect on with someone on an artistic level, um, you never know when it might be a good time to collaborate with them in some way, mm-hmm. you know, whether they're like an animator or an illustrator, even any of musician, that yeah, kind of thing. Because there are so many different elements that go into making films, aren't there? You know, makeup artists, mm-hmm. stylists, wardrobes, interior sectors, you know, there's just so many exactly. professions that can be uh, helpful in film. Yeah. And I think also when you do reach out to people, keep in mind that it's a back and forth thing. And, you know, what can you also offer this person who might be more senior than you and be able to offer you a lot or a connection or an email to someone or introducing you. And it's nice if you are able, even if it's not immediately, but if you're able to um, offer them something back, like my co-producer on the cam girls docker that I'm doing, she has emailed, she'll email someone and she'll say, can I Postmates you a coffee while we have a chat on Zoom? That kind Aww. of thing. It's like a nice little extra thing that can um, make someone more open with you and happy to give you some of their time. Yeah, nice touch. Because if you're meeting yeah. up with someone in person, you'd be like, let me buy you, I'll get you, I'll get this. But if it's more yeah. difficult over Zoom, isn't it? That's quite a quarantine specific. Um, <laughs> Anybody <laughs> also, filmmakers think, during the quarantine or pan, during pandemic, uh, specifically yeah. in the Northern Hemisphere? Um. <laughs> yeah. But also it's great if you're, maybe you're not in the same country or the same city as that person yeah. and they are taking time out of their day, that True. kind of thing. And also just being really staunch about what you actually love, even if you think that not that many people would be interested in it, you might be surprised. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing Girls, Girls, Girls when it's out. You heard it here first. Yeah. Keep an eye out, keep an ear out. And um, thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you. Thanks for having me at Showroom 22. Bye. That was the latest from Fashion and Focus. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of our conversation. Check out more of our episodes on your favourite podcast feed and get in touch with us at fashionandfocus at showroom22.com.